Well, thank you, Troy. I don't know if you heard the announcement over in this part of the room or if you got the email, but that hacked a former member of ours died uh, yesterday afternoon, I believe. So let's remember his family. Our scripture is found in Matthew 13. So turn in. <clears throat> While you're turning there, we got a great report from Sandy Keaton this past week regarding her apartment ministry. And uh, she was able to give four families food and assistance. So I want to thank you for helping out with that. And uh, Michelle Cusa, who's a member of our class. Michelle, stand up just so those new people know who you are. She's a graduate. Yeah, you know Michelle. She graduated from Criswell College and then went to the University of North Texas. And she just landed a job as a professor of psychology. And uh, I said, well, I remember when I started Criswell College, I was up to 2 o'clock in the morning working on those lessons and got up at 7, and I would teach. And uh, we had big loads back in those days, <laughs> teaching loads. And I would come home and sit in the chair and just crash. And so I'm glad that one of my former students knows what it's like, what you have to do <laughs> when you're getting started. She says she gets up at 4.30 in the morning and studies for class. So. Congratulations on that job. That's great. We many of us have prayed for Michelle to find the position. We remember when you got that got accepted to North Texas in the psychology program. So that's great news. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 13, and today we're going to look at the last three parables of the chapter. And the parables are stories taken from human life that describe the kingdom of God, and. Uh, they are a method to teach through the use of analogy. And so in the parables you'll see the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of the parables are about the kingdom of God, tells us what the kingdom of God is like. And what we've discovered is in chapter 12, uh, the tide is turning against Jesus. The religious leaders are turning against him. Some of his followers are abandoning him. Uh, they can't imagine if what Jesus says is true, why their leaders wouldn't follow him, and they're not. So they're abandoning Jesus as well. And so Jesus uses the parables to explain this phenomenon. Why is it that if the kingdom of God is broken in, if heaven has come down and broken in to time, why is it that he has so much opposition, and why is it that some people believe? Why, are there, why is there unbelief, and why is there belief? So let's look at this first parable, which begins in verse 44. This would be Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. Again, the kingdom of God is like, here's the analogy, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, notice it says treasure in that verse. This parable speaks of the kingdom's worth, the kingdom's value. And you notice the analogy. Look at the word like. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Notice the location of that treasure. 
It's in a field. Where is it in the field? Notice, it's hidden in a field. Jesus is taking a story of everyday life to teach a lesson about the kingdom of God through the use of analogy. In Bible times, people hid valuables in the ground. You say, well, why would they do that? <laughs> well, there's a lot of reasons. They didn't trust the banks. Hey, can you relate to that? <laughs> uh, and if you're getting, you know, you have some savings and you're getting point zero, you know, seven one hundredths of a percent or something like that, why wouldn't you put it in the field? And also, things were pretty dangerous. Somebody could break into your house if you had your money there and ransack the house. Foreign army could come in. So people just put their money in their fields, hid it. They knew where it was, had a little treasure map. Remember the golfer Sam Snead? Uh, there was a rumor that he put all his money in his backyard in cans. And when he died, <coughs> that was very valuable property. <laughs> so what you have is this treasure has been put in this field. And this guy, <coughs> probably a field worker, discovers the treasure and uh, hides it for himself in another location in the field, goes out and purchases the field, raises the money and buys the field. Now, don't get hung up on the ethics here. This is not about somebody taking somebody else's property through deception. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is really what the kingdom of God is like. This is not a parable on, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It's not about that. Okay, You need to understand what this parable is about. Here's what it's about. Now I'm going to try to unfold this one sentence parable for you. God is the owner of the field. Okay, that's number one. God is the owner. This is what the parable means. God is the owner of the field. The field is the world. The field is the world. The treasure is the kingdom. God has brought the kingdom into the world and he's hid it. But he wants it found. He's put the kingdom in the world and he's hid it to a certain degree, but he wants it found. But he doesn't want it to be found in an easy fashion. He doesn't want you to stumble upon it. In order to discover the kingdom, you have to hunt for it. It's not like an Easter egg hunt where you put the eggs in the field in plain sight so the little kids can find it. It's not like that. Okay, That's not how he puts the kingdom here. It's more like one of those find Waldo puzzles. <clears throat> you know Waldo's on that picture, but guess what you have to do to find Waldo? You have to make some effort. Okay, So God has put the kingdom here in the world and he wants us to find it, but he wants us to make an effort to find it. I remember going to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention a number of years ago, and uh, I went with a, I was rooming with a very wealthy businessman, and he was a godly man. And one day, I, we were, this was a four-day conference, and the second day I wake up and I get my Bible and I open it up. Now you have to remember, this is in the 70s, early 70s. And there's a $20 bill in that Bible. My Bible. 
And I go, well, where'd that come from? Well, you know, that would have been, how many years ago is that? 50 years ago, so what would it be worth today? Maybe a $100 bill today. Okay? And I said, hey, and I said, call these names. Did you, there's a $100 bill here, there's a $20 bill in this Bible. And he said, yeah, I put it there. I just wanted to see during this conference if you'd open your Bible up in the mornings and, and read the scriptures. And uh, he hid the Bible, uh, the bill in the Bible, wanting me to find it, but guess what? It was going to take a little effort. I wasn't going to just stumble across it. So he was delighted when I found this. So here's what happens is this man finds the treasure. He discovers the kingdom, and it says, great joy. There's great joy over this. Then, in order to get the field, to get the treasure that's in the field, he goes out and he sells every single thing that he has in order to make the purchase. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth giving up every single thing he has to obtain that kingdom. And so that's what he does. He sacrifices all. Now, there are a lot of people who don't discover the kingdom in Jesus' day and in our day. Because they're not looking for it. And then there are some who discover it. And they're pretty excited. But to attain it takes a real effort. And they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to give it all up for the kingdom. They want to have all that's in this world that they possess plus the kingdom. And it doesn't work that way. So they're not willing to give it up. So that's the first kingdom. That's the first parable, the parable of the kingdom. Now look at parable number two. Again, notice the analogy. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went out and sold all that he had, and he bought it. <clears throat> now, again, you see the kingdom of God is likened to something that's very valuable. In fact, it's likened to a great pearl, a pearl of great price beyond any. This man is a merchant. Hey, the first man was a field worker. He was a, he was a poor slob. You know what I mean? He's just a working stiff. This guy's a merchant. This guy's wealthy. He trades in pearls. Doesn't it say that? He's seeking beautiful pearls. This is his living. He's a jeweler. He's a, a New York jeweler who deals with diamonds and gold, if you'd say that today. And guess what he discovers? He discovers the Hope Diamond. One that's beyond any belief. And he says, I need it. He gets excited about it. And guess what he has to do? At the end of verse 46. Goes out and sells everything that he has. Now, One's poor, one's rich, but to get the treasure, guess what they have to do? Both of them have to sell everything in order to get it. They have to give it all up. Now, who gives up more? You think it's the poor guy or the rich guy? It's a hard one, isn't it? 
Yeah, because you don't know how to evaluate that. Because both of them are giving up what? Everything. And so if you give up everything, what have you got left? Nothing. <laughs> but in the end, guess what you got? Everything. So there's an exchange here. This is why it's very hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom. Because they say, hey, I have to give all this up. Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? Let me show you this. Just move over here in Matthew. So we'll just move over to Matthew 19. It'll be a very easy move here. And the rich young ruler comes. And you can look at verse 16. Now remember, Jesus isn't talking about treasures. He's not talking about pearls. He's talking about the kingdom of God and how to attain it. And we get a little insight here in Matthew 19 and verse 16. It says, Now behold, one came and he said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do to have eternal life? Now you're going to see that this phrase eternal life is a bigger phrase than what we think. We always think it's about going to heaven or something. He's not talking about that. You'll see that this represents having God's treasure now. It represents the kingdom of God. What do I have to do? He said, uh, well, why do you call me good? No one's good. Uh, that is, but God. But if you want to enter into life, notice enter into life. You can just say the kingdom as well. Keep the commandments. He said, which ones? He said, well, you know them. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Oh yeah, sure he's done all this. <clears throat> Look at this. He's loved his neighbor just like himself, just like we do, right? Now watch this. Do I lack anything else? He said, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because he had many great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, this is what the guy wants. He wants the kingdom. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's very difficult when you're rich to give up all your possessions for something that seems so ethereal. So it's hard to define this thing called the kingdom. Now, Jesus isn't asking us to purchase the kingdom. He's not saying our salvation can be bought. In fact, guess what they're doing? Not buying anything. What are they doing, in a sense? First of all, they're doing what? They're abandoning everything. <clears throat> and that's what he requires of us. Uh, he requires us to give everything up in order to get the kingdom. Are we willing to do that? Give everything up. Think about that, literally. Give everything up for the kingdom. You say, well, how in the world would you live? You didn't have anything. You have to have a house, don't you? How would you live? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things will be what? Oh, added. Yeah, if you're willing to give it up, guess what he'll do? He'll add it. But that takes faith, doesn't it? This is hard. This kingdom of God stuff is hard stuff. You say, well, who can do that? Who's that guy that they said had no place to lay his head? Who was that guy? What was that guy's name? I think he did it. The apostles gave everything up, didn't they? Yeah, they gave everything up. Uh, 
Was there a lady named Mother something that gave things up? Mother Teresa. How about that rich man who was one of the wealthiest man and men in his whole country? And they, we call him St. Francis of something. Yeah, because he gave everything up. A lot of people have given everything up in order to attain the kingdom of God. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, when he died, he had 12 cents to his name. 12 cents. And they said, well, why is he only at 12 cents? He's a leader of a movement. And they looked at his journal. He gave all of his money away to the poor. Who doesn't give everything up? Who's not willing to give everything up? Well, the priests aren't willing to give everything up. They've got things too good. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not willing to give everything up. The rich, they're not willing to give everything up because it seems like there's too much to lose. But Jesus says, if you look at things from God's economy, God's standpoint, that when you give everything up, you actually gain. Now that's sort of a crazy concept, but that's what it requires to enter this kingdom of God, and it takes faith. So that's what he says. <clears throat> now, I'm convinced if Jesus came back today, and he looked at us, he wouldn't be able to recognize his followers. Now we've discovered the kingdom, and we're pretty excited about it. We heard the gospel preached. We actually went forward. We were baptized. But then guess what? There's more to it than that, you see. There's a kingdom life that's involved. And that's where we refuse to go. And so in this parable of the wheat and the tares, remember last week, or the week before we dealt wheat and tares? The third group was the group that did what? They bought into the system, and then they kept going for a while. And then because of the... this is Remember, this was my big message last week about the election. Because of the cares of this world or the riches that they could attain in this life, it drew them away from the kingdom and they were fruitless. Remember that? And Jesus says, all of those are cast into the lake of fire. So each one of us has to look at our lives and say, hey, do I fit into this picture of a kingdom citizen or do I look more like a citizen of this world? Well, that's, that's hard... Teaching. These are hard sayings of Jesus. And then look at this third parable called the parable of the dragnet. Now this is not Joe Friday dragnet. This is a different kind of a dragnet. No, I heard. It says, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of God is like, here's the analogy, it's like a dragnet. That would be a commercial fishing net that you throw way out and you drag it on the bottom and through the water. And it was cast into the sea, and it gathered some, meaning some fish, and maybe other things, of every kind, every species. We know in the Sea of Galilee there were 54 species of fish. And they probably got some driftwood and seaweed and all those kinds of things as well. Which when that dragnet was full, verse 48, they drew it to the shore, and they sat down, and they gathered the good into vessels, and threw the bad away. So there is the story from everyday life, which is going to teach us about the kingdom through analogy. Jesus now gives the explanation. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from the just. 
and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. So we see this dragnet is very similar, parable is very similar to the wheat and tares, where the good and the bad live side by side in the world, and the division takes place at judgment when the angels gather all together, and some are judged, and some enter into the future kingdom of God. And who the real follower is, is not revealed until the end of the age. Boy, that's pretty hard. <clears throat> so now, Jesus says this. I think this is what he would say to us in verse 50, 51. Have you understood all these things? Look at that. Have you understood all these things? And guess what? They said to him, <laughs> Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yeah, we understand these things. It's like me going to the doctor, you know. Tells me what's wrong with me, the medicines I have to take. He says, you understand? And I said, yes. And I go home. And my wife says, what did the doctor say? I said, I have no idea what the doctor <laughs> She'd have to get on the phone and say, doctor, what do you want? <laughs> they said, yes, Lord. <laughs> do you think Judas said yes, Lord? But at the end, he was exposed because he wanted, says he, he liked money. He held the bag and he was stealing out of it. He was pilfering. And he said, hey, I can make another 30 shekels. <laughs> yes, Lord, we understand. Well, he goes on and says, well, if you understand, then you have a responsibility. What he says in verse 52. He said, therefore, every scribe, which means every disciple, instructed, every person who's instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasure, both old and new. So if you understand, if you say, yes, Lord, then guess what? You have a responsibility to bring out, he says, this treasure of things old and new. Now, that is a really a hard statement, but in the context of Matthew, we know what he's talking about because he's talked about old and new throughout Matthew's gospel. He talked about new wine and old wineskins. Remember that? He talks about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. And what I think he's talking about here is the old is the law and the prophets. Yes, we teach the law and the prophets. But there's a new aspect, a deeper meaning. Remember when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount? He talked about, hey, it was said of old. But what? I say unto you. Remember that? You've heard it said of old. Of what? Old. He talked about the Old Testament, what it meant to keep the law. He says, but let me give you the new interpretation. And so those of us who know about the kingdom, we do teach the law and the prophets, but we give it that new kingdom nuance and interpretation like Jesus did. And guess what? This is what the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and the priests refused to do. They held tenaciously on to the Old Testament laws along with the old kind of interpretation of those laws. And Jesus said, hey, that was for the Old Covenant. Yes, the law is still in existence, but there is a kingdom fulfillment of the law, and it has a new meaning, a deeper meaning. And the Pharisees and the others were not willing to accept it. 
And Jesus said, if you're a kingdom person, that's what you should be teaching. Now look at the aftermath. Because remember, what these parables are about is why do some people accept and why do some people reject? Look at the aftermath, verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables. So now we have all the thir chapter 13 parables finished. That he departed from there. And when he had come into his own country, this would probably mean that he went from Capernaum over into Nazareth, meaning the area, it could be his house, his homeland, probably Nazareth. He taught them in his synagogues. Now what do you think he taught in the synagogues? He taught the old covenant, he taught the laws, the prophets, but guess what he did? He gave it the new interpretation. So you sort of see how all this fits together. And then look what it says in verse 54. So that, when he taught these things, so that they were astonished and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Notice this. They recognize he has wisdom. They recognize he has power to perform great works. But they can't understand how he got that. wisdom from? What's the source of his power to do miracles? Where did all that come from? Now why would they ask that question? What's the basis of them questioning? Where did he get it? Yeah. Well look what it says. Verse 55. Here's, here's the reason why they ask that. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Hey, we knew Joseph. He wasn't a wise man. He wasn't a miracle worker. He worked in stone. He was, a, he was a carpenter. He worked in wood and stone. You know, like father, like son, you know. Wasn't his dad Joseph? Where in the world did he get this? You know, if the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree, where in the world did he come up with his wisdom like that? And so they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And the answer is what? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's right. Oh boy, what's going on around there? And then they say, and isn't his mother called Mary? And the answer is what? Yeah, we know Mary. Little Mary. And his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, which would be Jude in their Bible. Look, aren't, aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, aren't they, aren't they his brothers? And the answer is what? Yeah, there's not a genius in the whole bunch. <laughs> you ever take a look at those guys? You ever see that profile? I mean, these aren't the smartest guys in the world. Where in the world did he get this information from? And his sisters, plural, are they not with us? And the answer is what? Yeah, we, we know the whole family, and they're not an educated one the whole bunch. So they question Jesus, his ability. And then look what it says in verse, in verse 56. Where then did this man get all these things? How in the world did this happen? And they're just sort of shocked because he's standing up teaching them in the synagogue and they're, they're getting a little jealous here. They don't like this. And who's this guy? Hey, we remember him when he was a kid. Who do you think he is coming in here teaching us about the law 
no better than we are. Now they recognize that he has wisdom. They recognize he has some power to do works, but they don't embrace it, do they? They're not saying, wow, did you hear what he said? Hallelujah! They didn't say anything like that. They're questioning this. And this gets back to the old adage, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And that's just what it does. Uh, they all know the family. The city only has about 500 people. Everybody knows everybody. I remember uh, Jay Adams, who was the big Christian counselor and uh, written a lot of books. He grew up about three or four miles from where Lynn's family grew up. And I remember Lynn's dad saying to me one day, I remember Jay Adams. He was nobody. Oh, yeah, now he sold 10 million books. But it's because it's familiarity. You remember the family, you know, where they lived, seemed like an ordinary person. And so it produces this kind of question. Well, where in the world did he get these things? Now look at Jesus' response. In fact, look at verse 57 first. It says, and so they were offended at him. Look at that. They were offended by him at him. They this, is, this is ridiculous, this guy getting up here. Look, look at this. So they were offended at him. Now look at his response. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in one place. In his own country. And in his own what? House. So we begin to see. Yes, he has some people represented in these parables who embrace his message, search out the kingdom, and give up everything for the kingdom like the apostles. But there are others who reject him and the kingdom, even people in his own family. Now, we eventually know that Mary and James and Jude, after the resurrection, side with Jesus. But how about these others? There's never an indication in the scripture that any of his other brothers or sisters ever sided with Jesus and accepted his message of the kingdom of God. Are they part of that group that at the end of the age are cast into the fire? Where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? And now we finally have Matthew's commentary. Look at verse 58. This is Matthew, what he says. Now, <clears throat> he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. It says he did not do any mighty works there because of his unbelief. Mark's gospel says he could not do any works because of their unbelief. Their unbelief blocked Jesus' power to heal. And he's not going to force anything on them. So let me ask you, who, who did this hurt the most? Their unbelief. Did it hurt Jesus? <laughs> did it hurt them who were sick and need some help? Got a lame brother here. Got somebody with cancer. Who did it hurt, who did it hurt the most? It hurt them the most. What is it that gets in their way? It's the pride. It's the familiarity. And so here we see this tremendous lesson that the kingdom is so valuable. That's what this is about. The kingdom is so valuable that whatever it takes, do it 
to obtain it. But some of us are not willing to do what it takes. And for some of us, it means we have to give up a relationship that we're in, that we love that type of relationship that we're in. And we want that more than we want the kingdom and more than we want Christ. We have to give up our pride. If I do that, people say, oh, I always thought he was a Christian. So we're not willing to do what it takes, you know? We're not willing to get rid of our possessions that stand in our way. So that's why Jesus says, He that's going to come after me has to count the cost. And for each one of us, the cost is different. Whatever it is that stands in our way, that hinders us, and some of us, money doesn't stand in our way. Because we have these possessions, we possess money, but it doesn't possess us. But whatever it is that stands in our way, we have to be willing to abandon all to find the kingdom. So what is it that's holding us back? There's something. How can we say, I surrender all, when we don't? When we still hold on? How can we say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. We're always turning back. Always turning back. So, <clears throat> the kingdom is theirs. It's within our reach. It's in our midst. All we have to do is grab a hold of it, and it's ours. And the amazing thing is, if God wanted to right now, He could judge all of us. He could separate the wheat from the tares, the true from the false right now, but guess what He does? He waits. It doesn't happen to the end of the age. He gives us plenty of time, one more opportunity, right now, see, another chance, to realize the value of the kingdom and to grasp it. And so this week, in light of the election, I was reading a statement, and it went like this. Once to every man and every nation comes a moment to decide. Once to every man and every nation comes a moment to decide. Our nation made a decision last week, didn't it? You may not have liked the decision, but guess what? Not must only a nation decide. There comes a time for every individual to decide. And so what we need to do is we need to say, okay, where am I now in relationship to the kingdom? And we need to be willing to abandon whatever it is that stands in our way. And that's the teaching that Jesus has. And when it gets all finished, they say, yes, Lord, we understand. But by the time Jesus dies on the cross, guess what they're all doing after that? Except for John. They all run and hide. They all run and hide. They really don't understand. It's not until the resurrection that suddenly everything becomes crystal clear. And we stand on this side of the resurrection and we realize that ours can be the kingdom of God. Next week we're going to see that John the Baptist is beheaded. Oh, we're going to see now it really starts getting serious as the kingdom of God is rejected and his messengers are rejected and John the Baptist is put to death and Jesus starts heading toward Jerusalem toward his own death. Lord, we thank you for our scripture. We know these are hard sayings. We don't understand all of them. We say we do, but uh, we don't. I've been consumed by this kingdom 
concept for the past decade, and I constantly am seeing how far short I am of abandoning all to follow you. Oh Lord, help each one of us in this room today make a decision to go one step further. To abandon just a little bit of more, whether it's our pride or something that we're holding on to or things that we think are important, that we may obtain this kingdom. Lord, we want to be kingdom citizens. Help us also to teach others about the kingdom. Show them the importance of how the old is fulfilled in the new. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.